You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. WMQA. Hello and welcome to the WMQA Three Amigos Sears Wish Book Special, in which a bunch of middle-aged men wax nostalgic for their old toys and the comic tie-ins they inspired. I'm Dan Grote, and I had way too many GI Joes as a kid, including the mail-away William the Refrigerator Perry action figure. And I'm Matt Lazowitz, and I had all of the superpowers except for Cyborg. And still have many of them to this day. Although, while I was away at college, my youngest brother got to playing with my collectible toys and somehow lost Batman's cape. So he is wearing the cape from one of the myriad Michael Keaton Batman variants that is a darker blue than the rest of his costume. Uh, Well, it's a 3A special, so uh, Rob's here. Hello, Rob. My buddies! Uh, Good to be here, as always. Good to have you. And man. rounding out our crew this time around is another friend from the Comics XF bullpen. Please welcome Austin Gorton. Hey, everybody. Uh, I am Austin Gorton, and I still remember getting She-Ra and Swiftwind from the Santa Claus who visited my house on Christmas Eve in person. Uh, would have been 1985-ish. Now exist in Funko Pop form as one of the rides. You can get the Shira yes. on Swift Win. <laughs> I may or may not have gotten that for my partner Laura for Christmas this year, but she doesn't <laughs> listen to this, so she won't know. Or at least this probably won't be one of. It's everything I loved not, as a child now exists in Funko Pop form ooh, in one way or another. Ooh. So, so what are we? What are we doing here? Um, you know, basically, I, I thought we do. I mean, it's early December, but I thought we'd do a little holiday special here, you know, uh, for for a couple of reasons. One, well, one, it's December. Two, one, I brought back on the show. Uh, three, I, I just, you know, I thought it'd be fun. It's the it's the gift, gift giving season. We all remember, you know, waking up, being real excited, getting, you know, friggin' the... Cobra Terror Dome or Castle Grayskull or, or, or some <laughs> ungodly large piece of plastic that cost our parents probably too much in, in $1985 and, and uh, what have you. And most of those popular toy lines eventually became comics. So, you know, there's there's plenty of uh, grist for the, uh, for the mill here. Uh, but I, I was curious, uh, you know, we're all roughly among the uh, the same age here. I did call this the Sears Wish Book Special. Uh, <laughs> Who here remembers the Sears Wish book? And what was the section you spent the most time in outside of the toy section? <laughs> Who remembers Sears? <laughs> oh, I definitely remember Sears. I remember my mom and her, the, the Sears department store credit card. Uh, so that was, you know, back when every department store had its own credit card. It was like the streaming services of its era. Oh, my we mom. Were almost- used her Macy's credit card to the to the max. <laughs> we're, we're almost to the point where we could say who remembers physical shopping in a physical location? <laughs> hey, hey, after what just went down with uh, Discovery, I think more people are going to be thinking, boy, maybe I need to go physical again. Right, right. Hey, do you know how hard it is to get a copy of Oppenheimer right now? Like, it's sold out everywhere. I think people I are starting to get into that. You know, maybe I should... This is a keeper for the shelf. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the venture brothers movie took forever to get because it was not, Oh, I don't think it was overly produced 
physically and like i ordered it i pre-ordered it months in advance and it still arrived like three or four days late it took us a couple of weeks to find barbie on blu-ray yeah 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 so you know back to the whole uh the wish books um like outside i remember you know the, the toy sections you know looking at everything and you know it, it pretty much reminded me of what you would find on the box that like the back of a box of any kind of like GI Joe that you got your whole roster of all your different figures. They just mm-hmm. staged them a little bit more creative, which was cool. I think the thing that really stuck out outside of the toys was, um, was it the visible man, the human anatomy model kits, which was probably an early indicator. Like, you know, you know, maybe in your thirties, you're going to get into healthcare. Um, but just that image <laughs> always kind of stuck with me. And I, I remember, uh, was it Nirvana did the seven inch for sliver with one of them on the cover and that, that image just, yeah, kind of always resonated. Um, the, I think uh, this is probably towards the end of the, the Wish books, but in the late 80s when they started covering the video games. Mm. I remember losing my shit over the NES selection because they had uh, a game on there called Life Force, which at the time I thought was an adaptation of the Toby Hooper film with the <laughs> Matilda May, the vamp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it turns out I didn't realize it was Gradius 2. <laughs> I got it for Christmas that year. I was like, okay. Oh. I do remember the video when they started to get into the video games and it was like seeing the picture and you got a little of this with the toys too, but like seeing a picture of a game that you'd only ever heard about and didn't know if it actually existed. And then they would have a picture of like the cartridge and the box art in the catalog. And it would be like, Oh wow. That actually, that actually does exist. Someone could purchase that. I know. I think it was uh, adventures of link. Um, They had like a, tentative picture in there and there was some kind of chip shortage back in 88 where basically anybody who wished for it that year did not uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep wishing <laughs> that, well, that uh, was def- definitely one of those like games that was because Ninten- Nintendo just their cartridges they they had low runs too so yeah. you know on a release day you weren't guaranteed to get a game I remember when Super Mario 3 came out I think my mom waited outside of Toys R Us like on opening day and couldn't get a copy when they had like rolling release dates in terms of, you know, nowadays everything is it's strict on sale and everything has these hard and hard um, release dates and you can't violate them or anything like that. I mean, back in the eighties, it's like you might get a video game in one town and the next town over may not get any copies of it for six months. And so the idea of you know, pinning it down to, you know, this game came out on this date when we look back on them historically is really hard to do because they just sort of threw stuff out there. And when you got it, you got it. And once you got it, you put it on sale. And that's that's when it came out as far as you were concerned. Yeah, but but I remember pouring over the wish book, you know, from Thanksgiving to mid-December, like it was like it was an encyclopedia, right? Like, oh, very like, much. I so, think yeah. that taught yeah. me about like I don't know common clothing colors and you know <laughs> <laughs> what teams I could get NFL jerseys for. <laughs> you know, living in North Jersey, if I wanted a Slim Jim McMahon, uh, <laughs> eighty-five Chicago Bears, I could probably get that at the time. And that's your second uh, mid '80s uh, Chicago Bears reference tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're 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 living rent free in my head, but I mean, they weren't here to start no trouble, so I, I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 what are we gonna do a a, a super fans sketch sketch at some point in the show? The Bears, that sausage. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sausage claws coming to Chicago. I tell you what's going to be interesting. I mean, you got four guys here, you know, that are uh, roughly that same age bracket. We're going to have that same frame of reference, that that same midlife crisis where we're trying to, you know, contextualize our youth through uh, <laughs> the prism of plastic. What one one hundred percent, and uh, you know, toys to to kind of get back to the the heart of the thing are were a gateway for comics, at least for me. Like you know, I. I always tell people the story I always tell when I talk about starting collecting was X-Men volume two, number 20, but I had a number of GI Joe comics in the eighties. You know, I don't remember anything about them in terms of like story content or, or anything like that. I think I also had a mad balls comic, but they were definitely some of the first comics that I owned. Do you guys remember having any of those, those like toy line comics growing up? Definitely. And again, you know, we said it, my, I mean, the first comic I was ever given was that who's who. And the first when I talk about, you know, the first comic Batman comic I bought for myself. But even before I was reading Batman, I was reading Transformers. I remember it was Transformers 40. It's the cover. It's got the Pretenders and the return of Optimus Prime. Only at that time, since I hadn't read anything before Mm -hmm. that, I didn't know where Optimus Prime was returning from. Yeah, he's just in the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) But I pretty much, I mean, with, I know at one point or other, I had a full run and I read pretty religiously from, from that point until the series ended at 80. So I was reading Transformers for about a year and change before I started reading Batman every month. And so I was there when it went from Bud Bud Budiansky, who had done it from issue one till the mid fifties to Simon Furman coming over from the UK and it becoming a much darker, much more complex comic. Those Furman issues from like 56-ish to 80 are wild. They oh, the are. Fur- they, the Furman they're stuff really good. From, the yeah. Furman stuff from the UK is wild. Oh, it is, uh, yeah. I read the whole, what is it, Assault 2006 yeah. storyline where it was basically... He he's in the modern age. It's 86 and they have this whole new toy line from Transformers, the movie. He didn't want to jump forward. So instead he pulled a Terminator where Galvatron comes in the past to basically conquer the Autobots in the eighties. And it's pretty wild. It's uh, a very long epic story with a kind of an interesting ending. They, they trick him out. They uh, have him believe that he kills Starstream, which kind of undoes his own origin because Starscream is the one who dumped, you know, dumped out Megatron. Out, yeah. 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 I, I will, I think it's in the late sixties, early seventies. There's an issue at the end of Furman's first arc. Apparently Ratchet sacrifices himself to take out Megatron. And then like 10 issues later, they come back and they've fused into this hideous amalgam mm. transformer and this cover of the two of them mushed together, holding up a little sign that says, help me, mm, yeah. has lived rent-free in my brain since yeah. then. And there's a whole Matrix thing and there's talk of Primus, which was a concept that was mm. never in the TV show, but Primus as the opposite number of Megatron of of, uh, Unicron and all that. It's all this Simon Furman stuff in there 
that is really way more intense than the narrative you got on that cartoon. I wrote a really interesting note by Furman. It's in one of the, uh, the IDW did a really great job of reprinting the UK run. And there's all kinds of bonuses and essays and things. And uh, one of the things they dealt with was how they dealt with Hasbro. Now this speaks for the UK line. I don't know if this is true for the American line, but I can't imagine it being that different. They were very hands-off. There were no real notes other than, um, this is the toy line, introduce these characters, you know, you tell the story. Um, they would get feedback after the fact, after the issues were published. And basically the only negative feedback they ever got was that they leaned too heavily into creations that were not Hasbro. I mean, that was definitely Furman's bag okay. right there. I mean, I'm sure they probably weren't too happy with Budiansky creating like Circuit Breaker. And well, I know we're going to get into her later, but, uh, you know, that, that, that they seemed, you know, they wanted to really kind of keep it in house, but um, they never really kind of put their foot down. I mean, as long as the sales were there, I'm sure they didn't really care very much. The only other one I remember reading from the the Star Comics days <laughs> was uh, some of the He-Man comics, from, including A, the last two issues of that run, which are psychotically dark. Like, the, the cover to issue 12 is like all the masters standing around a grave which says here lies he-man and skeletor is like giant laughing face in the background or hovering over it and then the final issue is again the the grave but it's been crossed that and it's like skeletor lies he-man lives and it's an alternate you know it's a days of future past it's Mm -hmm. this is a universe where he-man died and they have to fix it in Star Comics. Yes. In Star <laughs> Comics. Not even regular Marvel Comics. Right. In the line aimed specifically at like 10 and under children. Mm-hmm. That and the adaptation to Masters of the Universe, the movie, yeah, which yeah. used all of the traditional toy designs. Oh, blew my mind as a kid. Yeah. With George Tusca art. Right. Who did the DC book. Yes, he, he jumped from he the did. DC book over yep. to uh, Marvel for that. Yeah. yeah. Ralph Macchio script, George Tusca art. And mm-hmm. it was so weird to see, you know, the movie original characters next to like filmation He-Man. <laughs> yeah. And Tila was in like the, the like I, I had to look this up because I remembered it, it distinctly. I just how weird that was. And like Tila's in like the, the snake head, like toy design costume, not even her filmation outfit. Right, right. It's bizarre. I kind of wonder if that's chalked up to the fact he probably had a copy, the the creators probably had a copy of the script and they didn't actually see the finished film. So they just kind of. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of a shame because, I mean, yeah, the costumes are, you know, they lean a little bit more towards the, you know, the sci fi goofy. But uh, towards the end, Frank Langella is wearing a costume that was actually designed by Mobius that was a leftover from uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yes. So here in Philadelphia, there is a guy who does gong show karaoke dressed as Skeletor. Like he hosts, he is dressed as Skeletor, and he will gong you out. (laughs) He is uh, one of the oldest friends of Laura's long-term life partner, Dennis. Like they've been in bands together since college. But for the the 15th anniversary of doing the gong show karaoke, like it was a big event and I went with them. It was a whole bunch of us went. He wore that outfit 
he went nice. and he had that the gold Skeletor made for his big anniversary show mm -hmm. and was gonging people off stage in gold Skeletor and there were people like well, that's a weird costume. And I was like, ah, but let me tell you, random stranger, <laughs> what does this mean? Because I'm that guy. And we all know I'm that guy, but I do it with love. I'm not, I'm actually new. I'm like, let me tell you this, because this is really exciting to me. Someone what, has that... to teach the Zoomers about Steve <laughs> and the movie. Damn I'm right. telling you what, that movie had its problems, but that that climax, that slaps. <laughs> that pulls out all the stops and it is fantastic you got uh you got lubbock blasted away with his shotgun from behind the like quarter wall that gets oh. transported into the into the throne room and uh good stuff uh, tolkien J J yeah J J tolkien. Tolkien. yes yes <laughs> from uh Stric strickland from yeah. uh uh back, back to the future, the future. Yeah. <laughs> who the, in the tusca's version looks oddly like charles xavier like yes. I was looking at some sample page, and I was like, "Wait, is Charles Xavier in this?" Okay, yeah, and and, and starring Robbie Duncan McNeil, who played Tom Paris, who looks you know oddly like Nick Locarno. Yes, <laughs> I'm expecting Matt to giggle at that. But I love the fact that uh, you know, of course, everyone knows it's Courtney Cox yeah. is the is the female mm -hmm. lead, and she was on Friends. But then her mom on Friends is the sorceress, Christina Pickles. Yep, oh, and shit. Meg Foster of the hypnotic eyes of mm, best I, known of they live but also as evelyn i have seen those eyes up close very close nice. she's very physical if you ever go to a con and meet her i mean she will get right up and like <laughs> snuggle she like will nuzzle your face yeah are the eyes as hypnotic as I think they are? Extremely, extremely. Oh, and I and I even told her it's like, wow, your eyes. It's like I always assumed you wore like contacts or something. It's like they are as mesmerizing in person. I'm trying not to be creepy telling you this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she gets it a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of back to what you were saying. <laughs> like we never go off way off track, but um, about that dark tone that you saw in uh the masters was a point that i was actually gonna um make probably later in the show but might as well do it now about you look at our age group and there was that general window of like three to four years um the gi joes the transformers like 80 with 86 kind of being like the epicenter of that sure. i i would say like our interests kind of peaked when the like the respective movies came out and then dived immediately as soon as this is like you know subsequent toy lines came out i mean it was pretty much done i can i can remember uh christmas 86 mm -hmm. i got metroplex and Triptychon for christmas the year after i got the nintendo entertainment system a sony walkman and a cassette copy of iron maiden's live after death you'd become a man that was a quantum leap in a year <laughs> but i'll tell you one interesting thing though before i get to my point um the, the everything pretty much went I mean, I, I, that's why these things are so valuable now, because, I mean, they pretty much got binned or yard sailed mm -hmm. or whatever. But uh, the Joes stuck around mainly because uh, I kind of realized you could hack them. You could take a screwdriver and you would go through the back and you mm -hmm. could disassemble them and you take the arms and the legs and kind of Frankenstein them and then reassemble them with, you know, different heads. And, you know, first you start making like, you know, really bonkers creations and then you get kind of clever with the cannon. And for a good like year, two years, I had a collection. I had uh, it was one of the Cobra vehicles. I think it was the Stun, where it had you know multiple stations. Mm -hmm. I had all Joe heads placed onto like some of the various Cobra uh, Viper 
you know, like the Techno Viper and uh-huh. the various like, you know, drivers of the vehicles and everything, all the heads on Viper bodies. And it's like they're defectors and they're all like manning these stations. I had Dusty based on an episode of G.I. Joe, Dusty's head on one of the Crimson Guard. And I had <laughs> Chuckles that was like in one of like the Techno Vipers. I thought that was the shit. I, I just thought that was absolutely <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm tricked out like Lego minifigures. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, um, but, but you know, back, back to the point about being dark, I think, you know, also because there was that decline where, you know, the interests were kind of changing. I mean, they kind of had to keep the readership. And I think that was probably the way was to kind of aim at more mature, you know, an older crowd that might be interested in, you know, kind of darker material. So that that's one possible yeah, and it reflected, I mean, the movies, one more so than the other, oh, went yeah. dark, too. I mean, you know, Transformers, they're chucking Decepticons into space, and in G.I. Joe, they're ADRing the Tickles in a coma. <laughs> yes, exactly. Coma. I will, listen, the death of Optimus Prime is intense, but Megatron's I still function as... <laughs> that is that's fucked up right that's the bambi's mom for 80s kids (laughs) you know what that comes down to hasbro underestimated i mean they figured okay this is a stupid toy line and these kids when they're done with the old ones they're just going to trash them and they're going to want the new shiny thing and they don't give a fuck about these characters and they (laughs) underestimated the fact that these kids connected not only with just optimus prime as a character but that voice i mean god you hear peter Cullen. i mean that Mm. It, Optimus Prime is a major pop culture character. I mean, you know, no matter how crass or you know commercial this franchise is, I mean, he just he's this living, breathing thing of fiction, and you know, living, the, breathing truck. <laughs> and the way you know they 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 take him down, and it's done very well. I mean, it's brutal, but it's it is it's you know it's a, it's definitely effective. But also, I think for the age bracket they were aiming at, I mean, I'm sure that fucked up a few kids. I, oh, yeah. Absolutely, but and you know, if you look at at the franchise, you're it, it always goes it again. It always goes back to Optimus. They tried making Judd Nelson the head of the Autobots, and it didn't take. They tried, you know, Beast Wars and subsequent generations of Transformers. Yeah. And I, I mean, there are people who cling to Beast Wars, and you know, love that for you, millennials. But like, yeah. it still, it always it always comes back to those those first generation characters, right? Which is a good segue into kind of where we are now in the comics, where, uh, as I told uh, Robert Kirkman to his face at New York Comic Con, you know, you bought all your you you took all your, your sweet ass Walking Dead money and you bought your old toys. And now you're publishing Transformers and G.I. Joe comics. And, uh, you know, we've only had a couple months of them. Transformers number three is coming out this week as we're recording and then uh, G.I. Joe Real American Hero has put out its first slash 301st <laughs> uh, <laughs> issue. But then we're supposed to get modern Joe comics, I think, starting this month with Duke. But, uh, you know, who among us is is has checked those out out of curiosity going oh, into yeah. this? Daniel Warren Johnson? Hell yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I am... Uh, um... Spoiler alert for our our Comics XF year end column, but uh, I will have Transformers number one as my issue of the year mm. for me. Um, I just thought it was a great uh, synthesis of the familiar and the new. 
it's very much it's hitting those those beats that you want to see it's you know autobots crashing on earth and they're in a mountain and you've got the silhouette of the arc and the you know the the thrusters on the back end and autobots waking up and getting alternate modes of native vehicles and all of that but then it's just it's tweaked just a little bit to make it a little bit new and a little bit different and a little bit fresher and i really love the way the perspective the way he plays with perspective in it and there's humans in it but sometimes you're seeing things from the perspective of the transformers and sometimes you're seeing things from the perspective of the humans and there's a shot of uh uh spike and his girlfriend when they're trying to get optimus his gun when he's like one armed and fighting sound wave and they're like pushing against the gun as they're trying to slide it along the floor to get it into his hand and it's just like this massive obstacle for them and then you turn the page it's just optimus picks up the gun and it's like he's you know normal size and everything and just that shifting in perspective was just like unlike anything that i've seen in a transformers comic through the years it was really uh it just blew me away how entertaining that was they do the scale very well they make the transformers actually terrifying yeah it's almost like a kaiju in, in a way these these yeah giant, yeah which also remind me i don't know if you guys uh are familiar there was an old short from uh 1969 called uh bambi meets godzilla if you guys are familiar with it <laughs> no no it, it, it's like like a two minute black and white of bambi just you know standing in the meadow and all of a sudden you just see godzilla's <laughs> foot come right down and i thought I, I i almost wondered if the opening of the second issue was sort of a nod to that i mean as much as i hate to see anything with animal suffering or or, or, or whatever i mean the, the deer scene did bother me a little bit but i did appreciate where it was going as far as yeah the the, the scale of these things where you know even the best of them if they're not careful are going to do you know terrible collateral damage um the sensitivity of it though you know of, of optimus yeah. holding the deer yeah I that's it really I... sold how can like how concerned he is about all life that it yeah. bothered him that much and I mean, his his lines in there about how on his world everything is metal, not everything he steps on gives under his feet like it does here. But I also thought it was great in issue two that you get the inverse of that with Starscream. Mm-hmm. That Megatron, right? Yes, exactly. When Starscream just squishes a, oh, a pilot like yeah. a bug. Mm-hmm. And what I sit back and I think is like, that would have been beneath Megatron. Megatron would not have given a crap about that pilot. It was not a threat anymore. So he just moves on. But having Starscream as your principal villain for the first arc makes it just shows what a petty dick he is and Mm -hmm. is so the antithesis Mm -hmm. of Optimus Prime in so many ways. Megatron is thirsty for power. Starscream wants to see suffering. He's a sadist. Yeah. 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 And I love the restraint in not leading off with Megatron in, in making him this sort of looming big bad off in the horizon. And instead we're just going to have petty tyrant Starscream running around squishing humans and being <laughs> a dick to everyone. And that's enough of a threat for now. And we'll, we'll hold Megatron for a, for a big reveal. I think that's really, really clever. And yeah, they're, they're, they're keeping it to a very limited set to begin with like the whole idea is there's not enough energon to to bring all their their various allies uh online so you get to kind of 
you get to focus. Whereas, you know, if this were Transformers or GI Joe, the movie, you're juggling like 60 to a hundred characters and they each right. need to have a few seconds to remind people, Hey, you can buy a toy of this. You can have a toy of Sergeant Slaughter. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> and killing off Bumblebee is a really strong indication of, yeah, we know this is the character that everybody knows thanks to the movies, but he's off the board. We're right. not playing that game. And it makes me wonder, because we see Megatron fighting Optimus in the arc flashback, and he's not on the arc. So I'm wondering, or at least we haven't seen him on the arc. So is it either he's not there and thus he's been on earth somewhere else this whole time there's there's questions left which i like he's in the that it's not over dam right isn't that where he was in uh in the first bay movie yeah <laughs> you know kind of following the pattern the way these books i mean he might not even be introduced in a transformers book <laughs> right yeah that's, yeah, that's true. true i mean when they come out you know maybe like in two years with like inhumanoids they might find him in the center of the earth with all those <laughs> other gnarly fucking things <laughs> i would read that book oh 100 give me i was gonna bring in the humanoids up later by the way yeah. <laughs> that was on my mind i will say I, like... I, I have mm -hmm. some trepidation about the tying in the doing a gi joe transformers shared universe thing um i mean what what we've gotten from the couple three issues of transformers is, has been great and so i don't have any reason really to doubt it but i'm a has to walk a, a very narrow line for me when it comes to like gi joe transformer stuff and it can go off the rails real quick for me uh, so i'm hey. a little, little little apprehensive about that Hey, coming from an alien fan, I mean, I got really tired of, um, you know, the, the later stuff with Dark Horse where they had to shoot him Predator with everything. And right. that, that guy, you know, it's just like, can I just get an, a good traditional alien story? And I like the, like I said, I, I like the way the Transformers book is playing with scale. I just worry about how well that's going to work in a G.I. Joe book on its own without it just being dominated by the Transformers where if if the if GI Joe exists in a world of the Transformers, what can Cobra or anyone else do to compete with giant yeah. murderous kaiju's with GI Joe trying to find a way to fight giant robots? As much fun as that could be for a little bit, but we'll we'll see we'll see how they do. There's it. the question: corner of the universe is going right. to factor in, and the fact that they're tying the Quintessons in there as sort of established galactic power. Yeah. Which is, I mean, interesting. I always kind of liked that the Quintessons is this idea of this sort of third race with the humans, the Cybertronians, and the Quintessons. But the cartoons never did much with them. They never came into the American comics much, very little. And I don't know how much they dealt with them in the UK. I've read smatterings of that. They've been in the UK books a little bit because the UK books dove into the movie stuff a little bit more than mm -hmm. the, than the u.s books did but they still weren't used a ton there yes I, I just i like that they're starting slow i hope they don't speed up too quickly 
we don't need a cross gen here. It's like, hey, we got four books. They're doing okay. Now we're going to do eight more in the next two months. <laughs> you know, I think there's also there's a really good opportunity though. You not necessarily do anything, you know, with the shared universe, but to like have these like very kind of like micro focused, you know, either like mini series and everything. I want a Dreadnox book. Yeah, I just want a book <laughs> dealing with them doing their business out of a gas station, snorting, you know, grape soda and chocolate donuts, fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> that's well, that's I like that. That could be the I greatest like that thing. The first Joe book in this new continuity is going to be a Duke book. It's yeah. not G.I. Joe number one. It's Duke number one. And there's going to be a Cobra Commander book. And yeah, I'd like to see like, give us a Dreadnought mini. Give us, uh, you know, a, a, a subset of joe's in a mini series let's you know it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be just the gi joe main title yeah now the the joe the two titles we're get, getting uh, apart from real american hero which is just they're letting lethal larry continue doing his thing has nothing to do with the you know kind of interconnected joe transformers thing that's happening now uh so we got we got Duke coming in this month, I believe, and then Cobra Commander launching in January. Both of those are being written by Josh Williamson. Now, I don't have a ton. I mean, Josh Williams has been on the show before, but I don't have a ton of familiarity with his writing. He tends to do a lot more DC stuff. He's got a couple creator-owned series in Image. Matt, I turn to you because you probably have more experience with Williamson that, than I. What What can we expect in terms of, I guess, at least kind of story quality based on your experience with him. I love Williamson's creator own stuff, mm. his image stuff, ghosted, uh, especially nail biter, birthright, dark ride. Uh, his DC stuff is a little more hit and miss. I liked his run on the flash quite a bit, mostly because he's the one who really brought back Wally and did a lot of the, the redemption of Wally West. Uh, I think, I mean, Dark Crisis, I think, was a somewhat thankless job to begin with. That smack of these are the points you need to hit, hit these points. Uh, his Robin was, I enjoyed his Robin. The I'm, I'm a few, I'm an issue behind on Batman and Robin. The first two issues there were solid. Uh, when he is given the wiggle room, he does good character work. I mean, Birthright is a 50-issue character arc of, if you haven't, for those out there who haven't read it, what Birthright is, is the the typical 80s, you know, kid gets shifted off into another universe and has a big fantasy adventure. But it starts out with asking the question, well, what happens to his family when he's gone? And you see the, you know, the parents fall apart because the mother blames the father for losing their kid. People think he might have killed him. And his brother is haunted by this. And then after, uh, you know, a, a couple of years on this side, he comes back. Only time works differently over there. So now he's this grown ass Conan barbarian dude. And you find out all this stuff about what happened over there and it's not all as cut and dry as that. And it becomes this story of 
you know, a soldier coming home and what that means to him. And so there is a something that could go for a G.I. Joe story there with, okay, now you're haunted by what you might have done. And I mean, Nailbiter is just a phenomenal horror serial killer book that's just, I love the, the idea of the town that spawns serial killers, which I recently said, Rob, oh, I wish I could remember the name. I've forgotten the name of the movie, but I saw this movie recently. Vincent Price. It's from the mm-hmm. 80s. It's four vignettes. And it's this town that spawns horror. And it is a seriously fucked mm-hmm. up movie. I will find the title of it before we're done because it, it, it's it's not the we it, it's not a title that's it's killing me because it was something a friend another a friend of mine recommended and but it it goes out of its way to explore like taboo subjects the type of stuff you wouldn't usually get in horror movies hmm. but I will find the title of it and I'll tell you off mic or later on if I can yeah remember. please it's not ringing a bell but it does, from yeah, a whisper to a scream it just hit me. oh okay okay from I think one of the boutiques put that out it's so. it's streaming on I think Prime okay or Prime or Hulu but I'm gonna make a note of that that's yeah, yeah. I'm not 100% sure if it's good but it is just utterly bizarre in how dark and then like the stuff you know that they they do with you know barely veiled necrophilia and oh, uh you get uh you know the, the children you know a uh story of you know guys coming home from the civil war to this very children of the corn sort of you know the kids have taken over and they're killing the soldiers as they come home so it, it's shockingly dark i don't necessarily know if it's good but it's one of those things where it's like i'm glad i saw it because i did i'd never heard of this well anything that's going to be compelling is not bad i mean you you know my rule of you know the worst <laughs> things ever made or things that are just completely dull and yeah. this is this is not that <laughs> I, I, whether or not it, it's got vincent price as the framing narrative oh, so wow i've got to check that out yeah 1987 Excellent. Oh, that okay. That's very late for price. Okay, yeah. that's probably why it's off my radar. Yeah, it's it's real weird. I I just saw it over the right around Halloween. It was recommended to me like in the run up to Halloween. I was like, oh, and he was like, yeah, cool, it's cool, it's. Cool. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> Amber came down. I was like, nope, nope. Pause. You, you, <laughs> I'll, I'll finish this later. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so uh, mentioned mentioned a couple times. So. Skybound is letting Larry Hama continue writing his Real American Hero series. Uh, they released issue 301. Now, I, I picked this up and I, I I figured something out in kind of researching for this episode. G.I. Joe is a property that I have come back to like every like two decades just to see, you know, what's what's cooking in the kitchen. So I actually remembered, I think I was in college. I had picked up the first couple issues of the, of the Devil's Due series, which wasn't Larry, uh, at least not to start. Uh, and then I picked up 301 or I looked at 301 and, uh, I, I will say the man loves his military terminology, you know, just, just reading, it's a simple Joe versus Cobra story, but like 
the one thing I read is like, oh, he just keeps reading, you know, military technical manuals to keep up to date. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it shows. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me reading that issue reminded me of uh, that three part X-Men Legends Wolverine story that you and I reviewed, Dan. Oh, yeah. Uh, that- that, that hammer wrote and it was like every issue we had to take a couple of panels and just describe the details of the jet that they were flying because that's just what Larry Hama does is he tells you everything you need to know about this piece of equipment or uh, this, this slang term in the military or whatever. Oh, the one issue of his short lived run on Batman that Adam Reck and I covered on a recent bat chat was had all this discussion of the guns that they were using. I'm like, this is a Batman comic. We don't talk, <laughs> we don't talk about guns. But when you say when it's guns and Batman, it's I hate guns. That's it. <laughs> That's all you do in there. Well, you know, I mean, Larry's Batman, really that this rare. Is a sour. Yeah, this kind of touches on a greater point. I'll, I'll get into it in a minute, but I mean, you know, Larry's kind of that rare case with this. I mean, this really was his baby, right? And for the right. most part. I mean, he created those initial run of characters. He was writing the the data cards that were on the back of right, right. You know the packages and everything like that. I mean, he was for all intents and purposes, GI Joe. I mean, yeah, he was you know yeah. sort of the, the the brain of that. And when you look at the other licensed stuff, and this you know when I did my homework for this and I was kind of reacquainting and everything. I mean, you do see some familiar names. You do see you know Michelini and um, a couple Papagio of names. That's, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to dunk on anything and, and <laughs> I don't want to make any or anybody, but the, the, the general feeling that I get reading the majority of these books is, you know, you, first you get that little, you know, twinge of like uh, that bronze age, you know? Yeah. It's just so distinct, but the work that's being done, it, it's, it's adequate and it's professional. And I mean, they're, they're, they're telling a story and they're moving the product on product line along and they're doing it, you know with a little bit of you know creativity and imagination within the, the the bounds of you know whatever that franchise is but they're not shooting for the moon for any of these i mean this isn't like all-timer work and i think the one that really kind of uh solidified that i was reading um inhumans love the first couple the first couple issues are a real corker i mean it's a, a wild 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 toy franchise oh the the inhumanoids Oh, and humanoids, yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like a high-tech team that's fighting. It, it's like a weird mix like of this underworld environment. It's it's a mix of Lovecraft and Tolkien and Toho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, the first couple issues are, you know, real, real crackerjack, you know, much more memorable than the toy line was. Then you get to the fourth issue, which was the last. And um, the artist is uh, Carmine Infantino. And just just looking at it, and you're happy that he had the work, but it's just a little depressing to say, just to see somebody of that stature working in a line that those books, you know, were not very well regarded. And that pretty much is the bottom of the barrel. Not that they were awful. They were just, they were were very kind of inoffensive and just product. Yeah. But with, 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 you know, Transformers to a degree. I mean, I think Budiansky did have, you know, a little bit of the ambition with that, and especially yeah, with I mean, Simon Furman. And he was Budiansky was, 
not quite as as involved, but the closest thing Transformers has to their Larry Hama yeah. in terms of a lot of the the lore and the backstories and things like that. Mm-hmm. Pudiansky came up with um, in the you know for the comic. Yeah, and then that you know that the first you know fifteen issues or so, I mean, it's, it's wonderfully uh, serialized. Yeah, you know, I mean, it does yeah. tell you know like over the span of a year, you know, but a singular, very text dense. Very text sense, very dark. I yeah. mean, again, it was a four issue limited series that ends with Shockwave coming to Earth. You know, the Autobots are literally like, "What happened? We won!" Next yeah. thing you see, Shockwave <laughs> wipes everybody out, and then all of a sudden, you know what? This book is a hit. We're going to keep going. And Budiansky's like, "You know what? Fuck it. We're going to do what if the Transformers were, were the, the Autobots were killed?" Mm-hmm. And you see them all strung up, basically by their feet like me you see them leaking out oil like blood they've decapitated optimus prime and this goes on for like another seven or eight issues it, it's absolutely bonkers but you know back to like with you know with larry hama um because there really were no restraints about a franchise you know like okay this is the box and this is the formula and each issue we have to accomplish this and then set up for you know and then the next issue is going to be this where, I mean, it wasn't quite as serialized as the Transformers was, but there were overreaching arcs, especially like later on, you had like the Cobra Civil War and other things well, and like that. Larry Hammas talked about um, he does no plotting, advanced plotting whatsoever. Oh, yeah. Like his, his entire style is just, all right, all right, sit down, what happens in this issue? And I'm going to write it. And now I'm done. And oh, time to write another issue. What's going to happen in this one? And so any like, connective plot tissue that's mm-hmm. there is accidental almost in terms of <laughs> it's uh, kind of wild how he approaches this stuff and it's wild how how well it works it's wi- it's wild how you could pick up any issue and be fine and then most of them start basically in media res like they are in the middle of a firefight yeah the the action yep. is already go and you're like wait a minute did i miss something last issue and then when you it's like no that's just, just, how just, just how he does it but it it works but i think there's just something beautiful like whenever you have a franchise that is willing to go outside of the box i mean that's really something special i mean even the best of them and this, this is something that i like really kind of uh well i know we're going to get into issue 21 eventually i know that's that's going to be the big one but look at star trek in the next generation i mean a, a fantastic show but very formulaic um Within the writer's Bible, I mean, there was a very strict rule about every episode has to have some kind of science fiction plot problem that needs to be solved by the end of the episode. And then that's it. And then we roll on to the next one. The show peaked with Best of Both Worlds. Hmm. Picard's abduction, assimilation, which, you know, was absolutely, I mean, devastating for that character. And where do you go from that next episode? Do you hit that reset button with that character? And they actually fought for once against doing that formula. And they had a plot where literally he goes home and he deals with his brother and he has it out. And basically it comes down to my brother's a human being after all, there's no sci-fi plot. There's no, you know, big action scene. They like, they invested in the character rather than the franchise or, you know, the formula. And I thought that is a beautiful thing. And I think that that's like one of the best episodes that they've ever done. Um, and I think that just stands like any, any franchise that's willing to do something like that. And, tra- and GI Joe did that quite a bit. That's something special. Like when you invest 
more into that and you, you know how your readers feel about these characters rather than what we can sell or what we're supposed to do i think that's awesome there's a great tension in gi joe that i think really helps elevate it in the way it, the tension between um Hama's marching orders from hasbro you know here's the next wave of of characters here's the next batch of vehicles to showcase and the sort of you know mercenary the comic as a you know advertisement for the toys element to it and the way that he would take that and still tell still tell the best story he could with it he'd roll with those punches he'd be like okay fine i'm going to incorporate these characters i'm going to keep some of my older characters that I like around and work them into it, but okay. Yeah, sure. Let's do an issue. That's just the Rattler fighting the sky strikers so that we can showcase these two toys. And it turns out to be one of the best issues of the series. It's just, you know, very small plot. They're just, you know, two planes fighting each other and it's, it's tense and it's well-crafted and it's a toy commercial at the same time. And that, where those two kind of tensions butt heads is really where that uh, where that series succeeds. Rob, you mentioned about you know, seeing Infantino doing this stuff. Yeah. There is no, I don't want to say greater tragedy. Tragedy is probably not the right word, but the superpowers miniseries. Right. Yeah, yeah. That there's three volumes of this. Volume one is co-written by Kirby with Joey Calvieri, Cavalieri, and a, I can't remember who the artist was. The second is drawn by Kirby. And then the third, Kirby is involved, but it's Infantino on pencils. Mm-hmm. The, the pedigree of these creators, and they are doing the tie-in to the toy comic and I'm pretty sure this is true. I don't think this is a flat-out urban legend. But the fact that all of the new gods are redesigned for the toys was so Kirby could get royalties on the toys. Because if they had been used his original DC designs, he wouldn't have gotten any money. Mm-hmm. I've heard that as well. I mean, I've heard that he's he made more money from Super Friends than he did anything else in his career just because of the royalty element of it and things like that i think at that point i mean we're talking about the 1980s so jack had already had his fill of marvel and of dc and he was in his like destroyer duck galactic rangers (laughs) uh era so this was their way to like I, I have to believe, and and I also very much have to believe that Roz Kirby was involved in this because she was a she was his big barda. She was a wonderful woman. It was like, <laughs> listen, if you go back and do the work for them, they got to pay up. Yeah, this, right. from what I've heard, it was Levitz. It was Levitz who was like, listen, Jack, if you do this, you'll get paid mm-hmm. for real this time. For real this <laughs> time, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is toy money. This is TV money. This isn't through DC. You, they're going to actually have to give you money because there'll be contracts. This is that Kenner shit. I mean, hey, look. Yeah. I mean, these guys were professionals at the top of their game, too. They would probably look at me. It's like, why are you getting all tender about me doing work? I, I draw comics. This is right. what I oh, do. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's like, I'm not crying. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the royalties remain just... 
the fact that Jim Starlin has said he's made more money from the KGB beast appearing out of costume with just his name in like one scene in BVS than he has from Thanos, Gamora, and Drax yeah. is yeah. disgusting. That's yeah. some shit. Yeah. It's a broken industry, everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, speak, speaking of, of art legends, I just did want to shout out, you know, those those early G.I. Joe issues were were drawn by one happy Herb Trimp. And uh, I, I, I bring I put respect on his name. I bring up his name uh, because, you know, back in the day when East Coast Comic Con was a thing, you know, he was he was one of the artists that was always there. And, you know, probably one of the nicest guys that we had occasion to speak with in in i guess the let the let the, will ended up being the last few years of his life last few days i mean my god i mean i had a nice little conversation with him and his wife literally two days before he passed something yeah, yeah. and i remember there, there there was one of those guys in front of you the ones with the roller bag full of you know sign this sign this you know you know herb yeah he really was like the definition of like that bullpen workhorse you know yeah you're going to see he's one of those people that you're going to see a lot when you read uh, like a lot of the licensed stuff it seems like they had like their own little division in the bullpen of the but um, Herb I mean he did a lot of work on on G.I. Joe uh, Transformers yeah Mantlo was in that that corner he was Sectars Uh, he wrote Sectars yeah Yeah. and And, and Micronauts Micronauts. yeah he Mm -hmm. was the I mean this I I'm not a huge micronauts guy certainly uh, the the toys predated me um they, they were they were gone by the time I was was old enough to know what that was so I've read a few of the comics but I mean there's a they have a following the Mantlo comic um is one of those that gets held up next to mm-hmm. Bahamas GI Joe and and the tra- 80s transformer stuff as one of the Good for what? Yeah, good at, on its own as a comic, not just an adaptation of a toy line kind of books. Um, and he did and other Rom. You know, and Rom, yeah, Rom would be the other one, and that was <laughs> that was Mantlo as well. And very much, I mean, both of those particular, especially Rom, um, very, very of their time, very Bronze Age, very. There's a formula there that they're hitting, but it's a little bit closer to the Bronze Age Marvel formula than sort of the the licensed more mercenary comic mm-hmm. tie-in stuff and so i think that helps elevate those a little bit above some of the other licensed stuff back to herb i mean oh what, what a capper for a great career that uh the godzilla book is going to be getting an omnibus yes yeah. that next yeah. october that cover is incredible i mean I, I i wish he were still with us you know for you know every reason but i mean just to see that cover, I mean, I'm sure he would have teared up. That, that's uh, amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, Dan and Matt, I mean, you know, being next to me, you know, doing these, the dollar binning at cons and everything. I mean, how many times have I, you know, ribbed you guys and say, oh, well, you're never going to see this reprinted. And it's yeah, usually it's some right. licensed book. And here, I, this is like a miracle that, and I, I will say to anybody out there, if you have, you know, any kind of interest in it, either pre-order it or get it immediately get it as quick as you can because 
I mean, that's yeah, something I think it's going to stick around that that's synonymous. I think with, with, you know, just the nature of the fleeting nature of uh, licensing. I mean, my God, you mean, we're seeing everything we're hearing about, like with Sony, with the discovery content that mm-hmm. got pulled. Um, it's so fleeting. I think any kind of, you know, when you're dealing with comics, especially like one of the big two, uh, that's synonymous with limited pressing or, or printing. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to be around. And, and yeah. I'm, Sure, the flipper the flipper sharks are going to be swirling on you know, and I remain curious. I have not heard anything about what if anything Skybound is planning on doing as far as reprinting old Joe and and Transformer stuffs, but but mm-hmm. I do believe they announced that they have the reprint rights to that stuff. There was some speculation for a little bit there that they may have gotten the new story rights but that the reprint rights were still up for grabs and i know in some of the uh the the epic collector marvel epic collector groups that i'm in there was some some finger crossing and fervent hoping that maybe marvel would be able to to pick up the reprint rights and put out uh epic collections of of their joe and transformers material but other than the fact that i've heard skybound does have everything i've not heard of any of their plans for reprinting um, and mm-hmm. all of the, you know, IDW, obviously, when they had the rights, um, they did a lot of really good reprints of that material. But that, of course, is now long out of print and, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, hard to get. I'd love to see a um, a comprehensive reprint series for both of those books as well. And some of the other, if we're going to get a <laughs> Inhumanoids fighting Megatron <laughs> limited series, I want those four issues of Inhumanoids made available, please. <laughs> It, it's crazy like the rights are it's crazy where all the rights are now because like rob mentioned the godzilla series and now marvel is also putting out omnibuy of rom a romnibus if you will yeah, yeah. And, oh, and, my, and micronauts yeah and micro yeah. and micronauts <laughs> so and that was another one i mean i you know the essentials that had to sidestep power man and iron fist issues because rom was in them and stuff mm-hmm. like that um because that was just never gonna, you're never going to get that the yeah. the rom appearances and and here we are the romnibus yeah. are the romnibi are coming <laughs> yep. oh, i'm snapping up the marvel tales rom meets the x-men that's coming out that's reprinting the issues of rom with the x-men in them yes yeah uh, yeah i never read that and, stuff and the 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 that stuff was always a problem too, because even with the IDW Transformers uh, reprints, you weren't getting, for example, Transformers number three featuring Spider-Man. Yeah. Right there on the cover in that Ooh. slick black costume. Or yeah. the circuit breaker issues. Or the circuit breaker issues. Yeah. yeah. Which had a real problematic at the end when she becomes a major character at the end of that Furman run. You know, that was such a missed opportunity. I mean, you know, Marvel still had her i was thinking like you know sometime either in the 90s or the 2000s they could have brought her back either through like rock sun or justin hammer she would have been a great iron man adversary you don't really you keep her origin kind of vague Mm -hmm. but uh i mean it's a shame i mean outside of uh a single panel appearance in uh i think it's like secret wars two number four or five where she encounters the beyonder and that was basically just like you know a little editorial blip, just to you know check out Transformers from you know twenty one for more of the story. Da da da. But you you know where missed opportunity where they could have brought her back. Not that I would have read it, mind you, but that 
that Dan Slot Iron Man 2020 story he did uh, where about like the robot uprising. That, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would have been. Yeah. Hell, she, she could be working for Orcus right now. Right. You know, you could even tie in Death's Head, you know, bring it back, you know, do a Death's Head series with uh, her. And I mean, my God, he was going to be he was hot for like five minutes. He had his own trading card in the uh the second impel series he was one of the rookies did yeah yep art adams did it yeah yeah dead said i'd argue made it out of the rights issues uh pretty sweet yeah yeah despite him having you know you know after two weeks ago i i kind of would love to see him show up hunting beep the meep in a next Doctor yeah. Who special, <laughs> you know, like you know, never mind Marvel. I mean, I think he, he would have been more in play, like um, 2000 AD. I mean, he would have been perfect right next to you know Scrantium Dog or Rogue Trooper or Dread. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he was more of that ilk than he was you know anything with the you know Marvel universe. You know, it, it, it's interesting that it, the one thing I found from just kind of looking at the history of at least the the Transformers and the GI Joe comics is no matter what publisher they were at eventually there was a reset and they're like okay let's get Furman back on transformers let's get larry back on gi joe and i feel like it it speaks to the power both men had with that franchise you know but there's also a part of you that's like well why why couldn't you get another writer to have the same impact mm, i probably wonder. that Maybe they were, the, you know, they were the two that were definitely willing to put in that work and had that sure. passion. Mm-hmm. Not only, you know, they were knowledgeable of those properties, but they were also willing to extrapolate on that and create their own, put their own stamp on it. I know a lot of the stuff that Simon Furman has put in place, especially with the origins, just sort of seeped its way into like the greater. I mean, there's not a singular Transformers canon or continuity but it's just kind of like generally accepted. Apparently it was picked up even in some, you know, the Bay films a little bit, but, um, you know, I think, you know, with, with, with Furman and Hama, uh, Hama, there was sort of a back to basics on that. And you got to think too, for, I guess you want to call them the dark years. I mean, which is probably the mid nineties up until, you know, maybe the Bay films, uh, the fandom really existed. Mostly it was the comics that were kind of like, that was the lighthouse. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. I mean, the toy the lines, era. there was really no, I mean, there was like the Beast Wars and, and all of that, but there really were no fresh toys. They were just basically doing repackagings or, you know, new editions of older characters and everything like that. And today that stands. I mean, you really think about it. There's no real toy lines today. It's you, you go into a Target and we should all know we're all <laughs> we're all middle aged <laughs> men. We spent our thirties going into Target to buy Funko Pops and Mighty Mugs, and <laughs> um, I mean there there are no like unique toy lines today. It's you go in there and it's it's Marvel and it's Hot Wheels and it's, it's all this... same stuff. It's all nostalgia. Star yeah. Wars. It's it's there's new product for kids. I mean, like my nine year old we'll buy transformers and we'll buy new star Wars things. And there are elements of that property that are geared towards him, but everything is propped up by nostalgia for people uh, like us. Oh, our it's, age. it's wild that they have like these different tiered. Like you can get an Optimus prime that basically you can transform in like two steps. 
Right. You can get a model Optimus Prime that does not transform. That's right. ridiculously detailed. And then there's others like, you know, they actually have the level, like intermediate level of transforming. Yeah. And they're all right there in the same spot. Like, I'll admit, like when that first next to each other. <laughs> when that first Bay film came out and, you know, you go to a Target trip. I picked up Jazz because I thought it looked cool. I cannot transform him. Oh, yeah. It, 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 you need the instructions to yeah. do it. it. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to your point, Dan, um, about returning to those two creators, some of it I think is just and and nostalgia and and talking about nostalgia, we reached a different time with comics where publishers were more willing to do multiple lines. It wasn't just one Joe book. It wasn't just one Transformers book. And they recognized the value of that nostalgia. And I think the one, there's like one narrow sliver where you had Joe and Transformer comics without either of those two guys involved. And that was the, you know, the devil's do Dreamwave era. Yeah. In the, you know, early 2000s when it was, you know, these young creators that grew up with this stuff like we did that said, we're going to buy up the rights and we're going to tell our own stories. And they were successful to varying degrees and unsuccessful <laughs> to other degrees. And Dreamwave in particular had a lot of like businessy problems mm -hmm. and um, things like that. And so then it kind of crashed and burned. And then IDW and even, and even Devils Do brought Larry Hama in, um, mm -hmm. you know, to work on stuff, not necessarily, Necessarily as a direct continuation of his um, of his Marvel work, but to write for them. And so then IDW comes along and they were like, well, we can tell new stories with new creators in a new continuity that want to push that further. But the number, because there's enough people out there who will just buy a Larry Hama G.I. Joe book or a Simon Furman Transformers book. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of kept rolling from there to where they... Pun intended. Have, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. Roll out. No, um, and that's. I mean, that's exactly what Skybound is doing. I mean, now it's you know they have the current continuity, but it's well, we're still going to have a Larry Hama Joe book that continues his continuity because, of course, we are. We we know there's the market for that out there, and it's just like you you see it with. I mean, that's Marvel and their you know nostalgia creator books. Let's you know, let's do X-Men Legends. Let's have all of these old creators that uh, Akira Yoshida likes come and uh, do miniseries for us and we'll get a little bit of money out of that. There was one guy back in my days at the comic shop who his pull was just Real American Heroes and mm -hmm. Transformers Regeneration 1 when it was running. Yeah. They were what he read as a kid and he was coming in for nothing else. He didn't look around the store. He knew when a new shoe was coming out. He came in, he picked it up, and he left. It's one thing, you know, the, that that fandom. I mean, you could say it's probably two fandoms, but you know, there, there's probably mm -hmm. some combined interest there. I, that That is not a fickle fan base. I mean, that is a diehard. Yeah. You know, that that have been around. Like I said, they, they, they were keeping that torch throughout the late mm -hmm. 90s, the, through the 2000s, you know, the dark years. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what, some of that Dreamwave stuff, I, I did revisit it. Um, I mean, the storyline, I mean, it, it, it's dense, especially it's the Simon Furman dense. stuff. But um, the artwork, my it's God, it, it, it's it's almost like animation cell quality. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely taking Transformers the movie almost to a fetish 
level. Yeah. Just yeah. that level of, of detail and gloss and, you know, very handsome to look at. Um, it's a far cry. I mean, I love the, you know, the Daniel Warren, the, the grunginess, that, that sort of like mm-hmm. Bronze Age grunginess that mm-hmm. you get now. But uh, no, that Dreamwave stuff, I mean, that, that's aged wonderfully. Yeah, it's look as spit. I mean, it's really nice, the the art there. And I could, I mean, as someone who who grew up with these properties and grew out of them while never fully leaving them behind because here we are and <laughs> was still reading other comics and things like that. Uh, when, when we had the big eighties nostalgia boom in the early two thousands, I mean, that was, I was there day one. I mean, that's that, that, uh, you know, J Scott Campbell, cover of gi joe number one i was like holy shit it's you know gi joe is back i thought we were done that you know we'd never see this again and here we are and it's never really stopped since then it's that was really when they became long-term ips as i'm less of a joe's guy it was never my particular thing but you look at some of the stuff with the idw transformers and it's fascinating to me that they learned pretty fairly quickly. And I regret that I hadn't stuck around long enough that the early IDW Transformers is very human centric. It's very much about, you know, all these humans and the Transformers and, but it's, it's following the arcs of the humans as they interact with the Transformers. And I started, I read the first miniseries. So I was like, I don't care about any of these people. I want to watch, I want to read about the robots. Right. right. And I gave up and I didn't come back until much later when they had learned, oh yeah, we're going to do more than meets the eye and robots in disguise that are fully on Cybertron, fully in space these human characters, yeah, there's still the occasional human characters, character in robots in disguise, but people loved more than meets the eye, partially for just how weird and mature the stories were, partially because we weren't being shoehorned these human characters that nobody cared about, <laughs> and it was just Transformers doing Transformers stuff. I, I'd say nobody gives a shit about the Witwickies, but uh, oh. I feel like Joss is turning me around on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, that that's Daniel Warren Johnson found a way to make me actually, yeah, you know, that was feel for Spark Plug Witwicky because yeah. I'm right there with you. The 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 more humans in a Transformers story, the worse it is. Was always kind of my motto, and I was impressed at how much they were able to to disprove that. <laughs> early on at least i you know get, getting back briefly to to characters crossing over and then creating rights issues uh i have one of the comics in my collection thank you rob is nfl super pro number two <laughs> which features quick kick <laughs> on the cover <laughs> i was not previously aware of this and as soon as I saw that in the notes, I quickly added it to my uh, to my list that I'm going to look for when I go to cons because I must have a copy of this issue. I have a soft spot for uh, for Quick Kick, as he is the star of one of my favorite GI Joe episodes when Cobra Commander's evil plot involves carving his face into the moon with a laser. Um, <laughs> Commander, no ripping off chair face Chippendale. <laughs> and uh, an act which uh, an act which Destro refers to as cosmic graffiti. <laughs> uh, 
And I've always felt bad for Quick Kick because G.I. Joe had its big uh, ninjas boom towards <laughs> the uh, the end of both the toy line and the, the comic you, book Cannon run. <laughs> and, there was, and there was just, you know, it, we're lousy with ninjas and poor Quick Kick uh... just gets left behind. And I'm like, I know he's not a ninja, but he's he's got a sword and he's got throwing stars on his sash and a nunchuck and all that. Like, you can't bring him along. You brought Scarlet along and she's less tangentially connected to ninjas than he is. He does a martial art. He does. And bad Humphrey Bogart impressions. And this is before Jinx came along, I take it then. Uh, this was before Jinx uh, came along, yes. Make yes. like an amoeba and split. Yes. And I like Jinx too, <laughs> Doug Every Rog. Um, one of my top 10, top five Joe figures is Jinx. Just a very yeah. well, well-designed striking figure. But anyway. Yeah, I was going to make a point that, you know, at, at where I'm at right now, I'm 45 years old and I am like, proudly resistant to shelf born anymore I'm, I'm perfectly i've got my, my my g1 blaster up there i've got a bunch of joes including jinx up on those little you know the stands you can put the pegs on with their mm-hmm. feet mm-hmm. and you know i've got my shelves lined with that and i'm okay not adding to that anymore i think i've got to that place um i've got my back issues i'm happy with i, I i'll pick up the occasional you know new thing like especially like these skybounds but uh i say you know in, in, as far as books go um mark balamo is like one of the he's one of those talking heads that you'll see on the netflix shows met mm. him several times it was actually i i worked at uh, it was like a free comic book day where i was like guest relations and i got to work with him and he actually gave me a signed copy of the complete joe compendium nice that has like it has every single accessory and vehicle and figure and the pro and it's like i'm happy having that and I'm just happy knowing that these things mm-hmm. exist mm-hmm. now. <laughs> I think I'm just, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm content <laughs> with that. <laughs> I've got my wish lists, you know, still, but I'll tell you one of them. Uh, it was, it was a point. It was a note that I saw you had in there. Um, I would love to see a completely out of continuity, either a one shot or a very brief miniseries of Rocky Balboa set between the third and the fourth film where he actually does go to GI Joe and becomes a trainer. <laughs> yeah we, we can undo that retraction from uh the order of battle that 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 infamous yes. for anybody yep. who doesn't know um both gi joe and transformers did uh their version of the official handbooks it was the, the transformers universe and then it was the gi joe order of battle and at the time hasbro was working on a deal to actually have rocky balboa join gi joe as like a physical trainer um, the whole thing fell apart. Hasbro dropped it because um, I don't know what it was. One of the other toy groups was working on Rambo at the time and they mm. just didn't want to even bother with the competition. So, I mean, it completely died immediately. Um, they still printed it in this, in, in this uh, issue. And uh, the next issue they had to uh, put a little thing on the end. Uh, Rocky Balboa has you know, not ever or <laughs> been a member. <laughs> died of on his way to his home planet. <laughs> Yeah. Is not or has has never been a member of GI Joe. Yeah, you now, and that's how we got the. Uh, that's how we got the big boa figure. The the Cobra oh, oh, yeah. boxing trainer was going to be the nemesis of uh, of Rocky Balboa. You know, I kind of compare it to like you know it was like the 1996 MTV Music Awards when uh, Van Halen <laughs> came out and they brought David Lee Roth and they give they there's some shit that happens on stage and they give back his award and they go backstage and basically it's like not nah, it's it's not happening it never happened. 
that that's that's the, that's what the Rocky Balboa thing reminded me of. <laughs> the uh, the your your mention of Rambo uh, sparked an interesting sidebar, which is just remember how wild the late '80s were in terms of here's toy line after toy line based on an R-rated film. Oh my god! I had so many RoboCop <laughs> figures. <laughs> Which I understand was because there was an animated series, but why was there an animated series in the first place of Paul Verhoeven's like dystopic body horror film about corporate greed and a cyborg that's gunned to death and we're going to make a cartoon and a toy line out of that? If you look at Robocop, he is toyetic. He is very toyetic. I'm just saying Reagan's America was certainly a place. <laughs> and you know, what? It, it almost culminated into probably what would have actually been crossing the line. There was going to be an aliens cartoon. Yeah. yeah. It was going to be based on that action figure. Line. I mean, there I mean, were, action... I was going to say there were aliens action figures, which is wild too. They had to actually change the biology of the creatures because, you know, in the alien line that we know, I mean, for them to be born, a human being has to die. Mm-hmm. So they kind of took, you know, that uh, a bit from, you know, the third alien where, you know, they can use any other life forms. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to have like a, a gorilla and a snake and a mantis and a scorpion, all these like ridiculous things. There was not going to be any human derived aliens in it. Right. But, right. I mean, give me a bit. That... <laughs> and, and Robo Marvel did a like Star Comics not quite Star Comics esque, but of uh, not an all ages trans uh, RoboCop series that ran twenty three issues. When we I talk just... about origin comic book origins, one of the very first comics I owned before I got into comics, when it was just like, ah, I was at the drugstore or whatever, and this looks good. Was a Robo was like RoboCop number three or something like that. And it was just because I watched the cartoon. It was on after Spider-Man and his amazing friends reruns. And it was like, hey, it's Robocop. And I read it and that was it was great. Oh, there's a cover. It, it's 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 early on in that I have both that series, but it, I actually got it on the newsstand back in 89 or 90, where he's holding his fist up defiantly and he's got his little like data blade holding the, it's like he's that's flipping the, the issue bird. that I had. Yeah, yeah okay. Exactly. And I mean, <laughs> nice. I'm looking at this series, the the first uh, just under you know, the first 10 issues are Alan Batman Shadow of the Bat Judge Dread Grant. Yep. And mm-hmm. the back end of that series is Simon Furman mm-hmm. with yep. one issue in the middle by Evan Skolnick with Herb <laughs> Trimp art. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, even though I mean a lot of people people have accused RoboCop of being a dread ripoff, I mean right down to the costume. But from what I understand, the British absolutely loved just you know how, you know, the Americans were really kind of satirizing. Actually, I mean it was a Danish director if you think about it, but uh right. You know, just they were satirizing like their, their own, you know, penchant for, you know, violent entertainment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we're talking animated series based on R-rated movies, let us not forget Swamp Thing. Oh yeah. oh yeah, delightfully '80s version of uh, Wild Thing with Swamp Thing inserted <laughs> in the lyrics as the theme song, based on not just two R-rated movies, but the you know comic series where Swamp Thing grows tubers that his girlfriend <laughs> can eat so she and can it... trip out and have sex. I was just going to say, I, I would give my right arm for the rights of spring episode <laughs> <laughs> i would watch that show 
Does this mean we're going steady? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want the one. I want you know, Swamp Thing goes to hell in the animated series. I mean, they've they've also made John Constantine for the children at this point. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it? Justice League action Constantine was was a, yeah. a thing. When uh, are we gonna get uh, Pete Wisdom in the MCU, Dan? Oh. <laughs> you know, it's got to be coming right in, in, in my in my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Although well, never in my wildest dreams did I imagine they were gonna cart Kelsey fucking Grammar back out. <laughs> A guy you, who just I, hangs out in Atlantic City now, and that's all he does. <laughs> All right, this kind of prompt, this, this this is kind of a prompt here. This could actually be a whole episode, so I probably shouldn't even bring this up because this is going to be an hour conversation. Go take just, us down the rabbit hole. <laughs> just, just just in general. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the trajectory of Transformers and G.I. Joe, how it's transformed from being a toy line that, be, you know, had a tie-in comic book to now, basically, you could say that the comic book is the vanguard, you know, of the franchise. I mean, yeah, there's going to be Transformer movies here and there, and you know whatever they're going to do to tie them in, but I think as far as the, you know the real fandom is concerned, I mean the comic books are the center of that. They're not well, buying there's the toys. A, there's a steadiness to it yeah. that yeah. nothing else because there isn't a, a an animated series anymore mm. that has the same longevity. But as far as you know, like the creative flagship is now the comic mm-hmm. books, right? And it's kind of interesting when you look at Marvel and it's almost in the reverse. And this might be a controversial statement, but it's almost like you're seeing the MCU is becoming the central creative force of the, and the comics are sort of matter of fact like i said that's just a kind of a food for thought that's probably a heavy take but i don't think it's a wrong entirely wrong take i think there's mm-hmm. definitely there's more truth to that than we'd probably care yeah. to admit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of toys based on animation i just have to bring up one of my favorite little Parody isn't the right word. Loving nods towards this is the final episode of Batman, the Brave and the Bold, with Batmite creating the neon talking super street bat luge. <laughs> the kids will love it. <laughs> it, it. You know, honestly, going going into this, Matt, this was a thing I wondered. How how many different Batman action figures did you own as a child? Did you have the Arctic oh, armor Batman? I yes, <laughs> I definitely had that one. I had numerous, like it's it's funny i through like 89 like the 89 line hit and i got everything i could by batman returns i had sort of opted out because it all it was like i got penguin and i got catwoman but Mm -hmm. i had enough batmans and (laughs) the penguin it was just the superpowers penguin mold even though it did not resemble in any way shape or form danny devito's Penguin. Nope. <laughs> and I regret, in some ways, I res- regret having kind of moved on, despite Batman always being my my comic love. When it came to toys, when I got a little older and still buy toys, it was X Men because there was more variety in the characters. And I regret not having you could have gotten... eight different Wolverines. Well, <laughs> yes, there was always eight Wolverines, but you at least got three or four weird ass new characters per line. There was also eight new cables, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) But I regret not having gotten at least into the Batman, the animated series action figures. I wish I had had gotten 
you know, your your basic Batman, your basic Joker, Robin, Harley, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the main ones, but they're you know, you know, the toys were ex- expensive compared to comics back in the day. Now it's well, they still are, but they're all <laughs> more expensive. So, <laughs> God, I got I got to say, as, as an only child growing up, I I had obscene amounts of this shit. Just about every property you can think of. I think out of all of them, the ones that I missed the most. Remember the little uh, pink muscle figures? Yes, oh, yeah. and then yeah. you get them in the canister. Yep. I mourned those like in the 90s because you couldn't find them anywhere. And it wasn't until, oh my God, it was in the 2010s. It was Rob Bruce. Mm-hmm. It, wanted his, it might have been the, the, the Trenton Punk Rock Flea Market. And I casually asked him, it's like, do you think those muscles? Oh, he pulled out, he had them in a baggie. I mean, it looked like we were doing like a, a drug transaction. And I bought <laughs> a, like a baggie, a Ziploc baggie of these muscle figures for like next to nothing from him. And oh, I treasure those things. I, I had a ton of them. Got, got one stuck up my nose. I'm not going to get deeper into that, but I did have one stuck up my nose at one point. I thought I was going to have to go to the ER. Yeah, aside from the superpowers, my other big one was real Ghostbusters. Mm. I, I, and I mean, I had Star Wars toys and some Star Wars and He-Man, but He-Man was not completely on its way out. But I mean, He-Man was the early to mid 80s so yeah, i was it, not it burned I was, right early yeah mm-hmm. right but so i had i had a lot of those but that was when i was an only child because i was an only child <laughs> until i was five so the first thing my uncle's yeah. role just got me he-mans and star wars because everybody had star wars mm. but when i got a little older and had to be i guess borderline choosier i don't know it was superpowers and it was real ghostbusters and i still well Many years later, for Christmas one year, Amber, using eBay, tracked down the real Ghostbusters. They had a line of classic monsters. They had Dracula, Frankenstein, a zombie. My favorite was the the werewolf. And I, I <laughs> attribute that toy to my love of werewolves to this day. But Amber tracked down a werewolf, and he stands on a shelf in our, you know, when you come up the stairs uh, in our house, there's the bells from our wedding there's a few like amber's <laughs> little you know, like glass bottles and things and a couple of batman black and white statues and that ghostbusters werewolf just standing <laughs> right there nice yeah i was definitely a he-man kid first like that was very much the first kind of ip that i latched onto. my parents like to tell the story of how when i was three or four they would take me out shopping and I'd have the, the plastic He-Man sword, you know, the, the, oh, yeah. you know, the life, not life-size, but, you know, meant to be played with as though you are He-Man. And I would keep it down the back of my shirt <laughs> because that's where He-Man keeps his sword. And, you know, if anyone, oh, what's that? You know, pull it out and do the whole, you know, by the power of Grayskull thing. But if I wasn't doing that, people would just see this plastic thing down my back and they'd have like cashiers at the grocery store that would say oh oh i'm is your I'm, it's so sad that your son has to wear that back brace is he okay is what happened to his back oh. <laughs> it's like, no 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 that's just his he-man sword that he keeps back there and then from he-man it's that's he-man transitioned into transformers and then there was some overlap between transformers and gi joe and i stuck with gi joe for a while but then you kind of mix in the superpowers and had a few of the Ghostbusters figures and then TMNT came along and had had a fair number of those. But that was really my younger brother. Um, Same. 
that was, you know, I had, I started, but then he kind of picked that ball up and mm-hmm. ran further with <laughs> it than I ever did. You know, kind of speaking of the intersection between Ghostbusters and He-Man, you know, there's that bit in Ghostbusters 2 where yes. uh, I think it's, it's, it's Ray and, and Winston do a kid's birthday party and the kids all start chanting for He-Man. That movie came out in 1988. By that point, He-Man was past the peak of its power. <laughs> yeah. I have I've wondered about that for a number of years. And I don't think there's there can't be any relationship between canon that did the He-Man movie and I guess it's Columbia would have done Ghostbusters too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause if I didn't know better, I would think that it's the same studio reacting to their smash hit masters of the universe movie that of course was not a smash hit. So no (laughs) one was talking about it when ghostbusters two came out a year later, but they thought they would be, and it would thus be a top, but they're not the same studio. So I really have, I've I'm curious what the intersection is there. That is a screenwriter who had a kid who was really into he-man three or four years earlier and just figured this is what the kids like. Right. That that, that right. shit never got past the early script. <laughs> the early version <laughs> of the script. They just stayed it. Yep. Yep. It was at best a case of we'll replace this with something later. Yep. And just never did. Never got around to it. We but almost got canon it. standards. I have a. I feel like Masters of the Universe was one of their bigger hits. Well, yes. We for, all, by canon yeah. standards, yes. We <laughs> almost. We almost got a Masters sequel that it actually was, started to go into production. It, became, it became Cyborg. Yes, the Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, wow. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, JCVD. <laughs> <laughs> we almost had a He-Man sequel. It became something completely yep. different and unrelated. <laughs> yep. Look, there's, there, was there a robot He-Man? Is that a thing? There was Faker, Faker. the blue He-Man. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Okay. Which is a, sh- I mean, marketing genius, these guys, where it's mm-hmm. like, let's just take our He-Man mold and paint him blue and put a little sticker on his chest that looks yeah. like robot innards and we'll sell him as the robot He-Man. And I mean, I had one and it was, I loved it. Mm-hmm. The concept of like an evil robot He-Man that Skeletor built, that was genius. And all I was doing was buying another it, it, It's what we call in, in, in a current nerd parlance, a palette swap. Yes, one hundred percent. Did anybody have? Did anybody? How many? Because He Man started, or the action figure started with like, you know, instead of like the GI Joe card that Larry wrote, they'd come with like little mini comics. Yes, and they're pretty amazing. Dark Horse did a banger of a job. I own that Doing... book. Yes, As do I? I have it on my shelf. The, the, the big, big card cover. The, the 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 paper quality on them was incredible. So I mean, the coloring was like it almost like painted, gorgeous. Um, Mark uh, Texariah actually did mm-hmm. some of the artwork on the original ones too, and, and Bruce Tim was involved yeah. in those early on. Oh yeah, yeah. very dynamic action. I mean, they're very handsome, very ha- handsomely I mean, reproduced. Talk about comic book origins. I mean, long before you know my RoboCop flicking the bird comic or. Uh, the Transformers issue where they're in a car wash of doom or when I finally bought <laughs> an X-Men comic and, you know, kind of took off from there. I mean, that's the, the He-Man comics and the, the little super friend comics, yes. which was, which were there, but not as not, not of the same quality. Um, but they got packaged in those mm-hmm. figures. Those were the, that, that would be the first comic books I ever read 
were the He-Man mini comics and the Superpowers mini comics. That's where mm-hmm. I would have learned how to read a comic book and the concept of, you know, sequential art and and all that kind of stuff. That's that's where that's what it was. Yeah, those they've never gotten the same love. Those super friends, superpowers, mini comics. I wish they would collect them somewhere because I would, I do too. Yeah. (laughs) I'd love to be able to read them. Like I found when we were cleaning out my parents, which was originally my grandparents house, like some tattered remains of some of them. And I was like, (laughs) Oh, I wish I was this obsessive compulsive as I am now when I was Aww. that young. I still have these then. <laughs> that would, this that tiny would require, comic about uh, Stinkor. Right? <laughs> that would require DC to care about reprinting things that aren't 10 years old or evergreens. Yeah. 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 Apparently there are bootlegged collections of them that are available on Etsy. Ah, so, boy, I, Etsy I, really does have everything. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so this is is making me wonder. It's like, boy, I do my best to not support uh, bootlegging of any kind, but these are never going to be available in any other way. Right. And so maybe I'm gonna you know look into this because well, would... you know it's like when you and Will want to talk about a Batman comic that isn't on Infinite. And neither of you has ready access to. (laughs) And you know you have to go to a magic website. Yes. Say say a body of water where sea criminals hang out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Precisely. (sighs) We we do what we have to do to survive. (laughs) Exactly. Oh man, uh, what what have we left out? I've what, covered what, uh, all my notes pretty much. Yeah, uh, we we hitting those comics was kind of my. Uh... I, I guess the only thing I really left out. I mean, if you were going to talk about the most bizarre things out there, that you know, it was a four issue run of something called Animax, which I do not remember this toy line at all. It was written by Walt Simonson. Uh, ah. It was drawn by Steve Purcell. It was if, if I know Matt's probably familiar with this. George Romero's Night Riders. Sure. Imagine a toy line. It's like Night Riders. We have like these modern knights that are on that duel on motorcycles, <laughs> but it's in the future, in this post-apocalyptic future, and the machines are half beast, half Mad Max vehicular <laughs> nonsense, and it's just this glad you know gladiatorial conflict between these two factions um where the heroes wear these giant (laughs) these costumes it's like a giant headdress of the animal that they're actually like the vehicle that they're driving Uh, yeah it's like a cross between like night riders and like furries (laughs) it's the weirdest fucking thing i've ever seen i don't remember the toys it was an 86 Hmm. yeah it was a 1986 thing uh I've only seen one issue of this. I haven't even seen the other three. So you see them in the dollar bins out there. Save them for me, please. Will do. <laughs> That's, that, yeah. You, uh, you had it in the notes, Dan, but it would probably behoove us to mention Secret Wars and the fact that we have comic crossover events to this day, arguably because of a toy line. Um, I was never a big Secret Wars action figure kid. They 
I mean, I was the right age for it, but I guess I was too busy buying Transformers and G.I. Joe at the time. I feel like mm-hmm. I might have had one or two of them. I was also not a big fan because they all just had big lenticular shields instead yes. of actual yeah. accessories. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is lame. I don't I want <laughs> I could get a G.I. Joe with a gun and a backpack and a helmet or I could get this guy with his big clunky shield with a picture of himself on it. Like this is not <laughs> a, a hard decision to make, which is ironic given where I've ended up um, comments wise. But I think I had like Spidey and Cap and Dr. Doom. Like I had a a couple of them. I had Kang and maybe Mm. Iron Man. And I was a big superpowers kid. I had, you know, I had so many of the superpower figures and they just seemed better than they did stuff. Yeah, they had, well, they had, I mean, Mm. we had the, the knee joints and uh, had the power, you know, the superpowers and the, Secret Wars guys just kind of stood there. Probably because they were more rushed than the yes, the, the DC ones. But <laughs> yeah, I I mean that is that is a line of of action figures born of the fact that Marvel did a focus group and found out oh. that kids really like the words secret and wars. And so let's use that to which tell again a story speaks that is volumes of Reagan's America. <laughs> yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. And let's just give the kids a thing that we're basically just saying, yeah, bash them together. That's that's mm-hmm. that's what you want. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take all your favorite characters, strip them of all the nuance from their regular comics, uh, <laughs> and you go to town. And here's this guy who we find out in a year doesn't know how to poop, and he's in <laughs> control of everything. <laughs> and what was it like basically like slay your enemies and all your wildest dreams can come true? Yes. Yep. Yes, ex- exactly. Um, it does It does bring to mind the fact that like looming over a lot of this is not just Reagan's America, but Jim Shooter's Marvel. Because yeah. that's what gives us mm. Secret Wars and it gives us Transformers comics and G.I. Joe comics and, and you know, uh, all the way down to Barbie and Barbie fashion. Yeah. And I mean, G.I. Joe was going to be a, a Nick Fury in shield series but then jim Jim shooter went out and got the rights to gi joe and um hama just veered left and switched his pitch up and made it gi joe i mean face it i mean you know i mean at the point i mean the the, the first one of the of of all of these was arguably shogun warriors which was the late 70s i mean this is all of these toy lines are basically just chasing that star wars dollar yeah, and oh, eventually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of them became so huge. You had Masters of the Universe, then you had other lines that were chasing that Masters mm-hmm. dollar, and then chasing mm-hmm. that GI Joe dollar. But it, it yeah. was all this vicious cycle that just started with Star Wars. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And we're you know about to get Declan freaking Shalvi writing Thundercats for Dynamite in a couple months because no property is so minor as to not spawn a to- uh, comic and again nowadays it does it feels like both the 80s and the aughts all over again in that regard i mean we had that same kind of boom in the in the mid aughts where you dream wave and devils do and then it was pretty soon wildstorm had their thundercats book and uh mvc or mv creations was a self-published that did he man masters of the universe books and there was a uh uh battle for the planets uh book for i mean every 70s and 80s property 
they put out a book. A self published. That's coming back too. Matt Cave's got Battle of the Planet rights. Yeah, yeah exactly. But they're calling they're... it Gotcha Man, like yeah. the original Japanese title. I mean, hell, I... IDW brought back Mad Balls and they rolled it in with Garbage Pail Kids. <laughs> yep. And it's yeah. genius. It's, it's... <laughs> yep. And so then we're right back there again now, or it's just there, whoever can, whatever's not grabbed up is getting grabbed up and they're putting out a series and. Yeah, I mean, it go, I've talked about Ghostbusters before, but again, there was that self-published 88 mile per hour that did mm-hmm. one Ghostbusters miniseries. And then IDW, just like with Transformers and G.I. Joe, they did a whole sort of elaborate universe that yep. they lost the rights. And now it seems to be moving over to Dark Horse for mm-hmm. tie-ins to the new movies. Yeah. Nothing that was a toyetic 80s property is without something uh, I'm some perceived think... commercial value <laughs> right yeah. right we'll continue doing this until it becomes unprofitable except for animax <laughs> yes except for in dino riders oh mm. i loved dino riders yes. dino riders and air raiders who were from the yes. same company because the, the the figures were about the same size mm-hmm. except one was hardcore sci-fi with like the crazy vehicles and one was dinosaurs there was a, a Star Comics Dino Riders that yep. lasted three or four yeah. issues. This this is I food. Pick... This is food fighters erasure. Yeah, <laughs> with that we really probably should stick a fork in this. <laughs> any any Dino Riders comic I see at a con, I pick that up too. Those are I remember those guys fondly. Oh boy! Well, uh, in the interest of bringing in some 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 outside uh, opinions, I did I did go to Twitter today and put the call out and ask people about their favorite uh, toy-based comics and uh, who who answers the call, but our grand Twitter inquisitor Asimov fangirl who wrote in to say that although she hadn't finished it, IDW's Transformers are one of my favorites. The balance between meaningful and exciting plot and still fulfilling their toyetic obligations, like changing a character's name because Hasbro lost the rights for their use is admirable. Yeah. I have not. Um, I, I kind of plucked around, the IDW Transformer stuff. And that's one of those things I really want to go back and reread it, particularly when it gets more uh, just Transformers on Cybertron based. Because mm-hmm. um, I have heard a lot of really good things from a number of different people about that uh, that run. You know, I've, I've heard more than meets the eye and Lost Light are incredible. Yeah. Um, one com- you know what? One comic I wanted to throw in there before before we uh, officially wrap up there there was a con- it was it was a one shot it was called GI Joe Deviations this this was this would have been like 20 somewhere between 2015 and 2017 it was Paul Aller and Corey Lewis and it was a what if story basically what if cobra had actually taken over the world and what happens is that the rest of cobra it becomes occupied with the bureaucracy of actually running the world and cobra commanders like but i want to do more ridiculous schemes and so he effectively just sabotages his entire ruling the world thing. Yeah, he wants to carve blow. his face into the moon, not actually yeah. rule uh, the world. It's it's very sore on. I don't want to cure cancer. <laughs> I want to turn people into dinosaurs. <laughs> it's like at this point, it's like my battery won't even last. You know, describing this, but I have to just throw in uh, Tom Scioli's uh, Transformers and GI Joe, which yeah. is just a fever dream of just batshit amazingness. And just read it, and I'll just leave it yeah. at that. There's a good example <laughs> of a. Of a Transformers and G.I. Joe book with which I have no problems whatsoever. 
Oh boy. Matt, Matt, you got any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Uh, just one more. There was a Transformers GI Joe miniseries from that Dreamwave era set during World War II with Jay Lee art Ooh. that I would love to see reprinted. Ravage has never looked more intimidating than Jay Lee drawing Ravage. It's a gorgeous series. The art in that is phenomenal. This all sounds like excellent stuff to go uh, hunting for next time one of us is at a show. But, uh, you know, th this was a fantastic uh, time, as you can tell by how long it's been since we started. Um, mm -hmm. Who's got plugs? Anybody got plugs they got to put in before we wrap this thing up? <laughs> Nothing that we don't plug at the end of every episode. That's a I got I got to plug my uh, computer in. I'm at 5%. <laughs> 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 uh you could find me hanging around at comics xf uh and my website is the real gentleman of leisure.com uh the name of which is a nod to the real ghostbusters and um yeah and you know the socials the there i'm out there as well right on well gentlemen uh thank you for for joining us once again uh on a, on a venture into tangents and madness and uh to all a good night happy safe holidays that's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash comicsxf, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator at ComicsXF, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Lisa Slack, Will Redman, Tobias Carroll, Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, Rob Liefeld's greatest contribution to comics isn't Deadpool or Youngblood or even Major X. It's his impression of Todd McFarlane. W-N-Q-A. And knowing is half the battle. E -I